You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt McGacky, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians, talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Sarp Kesky of Bipolar Architecture. There's this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! So, I get a direct message the other day. Um, It's from someone who's bringing attention to the fact that there is this new site online called Hit Piece. And this site is apparently selling NFTs of either album or uh, singles artwork. And a bunch of bands are on there without their consent. And in this direct message, this person uh, shows me the page with my band, RX Bandits, on there. It's telling me just, you know, here's a heads up, trying to sell whatever, you know, nobody has approval, so... I said, thank you for bringing this to my attention. It's cool of you. Good looking out. I appreciate it. You know, apparently this has been making some pretty huge waves all over, I guess, social media, in particular Twitter, of which I've been a member for so long now, you know. Um, And while most of it is a pretty, I don't want to say barren, actually. It's kind of like pretty happening. It's a pretty happening wasteland of corporate interest, desperation, loneliness, attention-seeking, and trolling. But within this active wasteland, there's this really strong current, like this little secret passageway in between all the bullshit of really, you know, brilliant minds and thinkers. And the best part of it is, is now a lot of scholars, scientists, and intellectuals in general are somehow, and for some reason, choosing this platform. You know, obviously, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that it's mostly uh, centered around the, the written word, text. You know, although you can share photos and videos, still the power of the condensed thought into a paragraph, you know, which is how it began and now has blossomed into a lot of people making kind of overwhelmingly, annoyingly long threads for no reason. Sometimes they have great reason and great purpose. When I follow, you know, someone who claims on Twitter that they're uh, a professor of chemistry and an expert in aerosols at the University of Colorado. You know, I then click the link that they have in their bio to the University of Colorado. I look at that department. I see if that person is there. And, you know, uh, although it is possible for someone to fake all of that, I view it as highly unlikely and 
if anyone has any sort of better system for like an immediate or cursory uh, vetting or researching a person, please let me know because that's the best that I can think of on an immediate level that's accessible to a regular moron like me. So now, when this professor of chemistry, head of the department, and one of the world's leading experts on aerosols, as it applies to his particular field of work uh, regarding air pollution and carbon capture, uh, with that knowledge, when this person starts talking about how over 90% of the current pandemic is transmitted through aerosol and so forth, I listen. I've found all the reasons I need. And instantly, Twitter gets transformed from sort of a reactionary woke mob versus closed-minded, uneducated, idiotic conservatives uh, and celebrity culture and gossip culture. It goes from that to instantly being able to, you know, have some real value for knowledge. And that value of that knowledge can be corrupted, like knowledge can be in any avenue or medium, as it has been. How many scientific studies have been corrupted and made perverse by corporate interests and meddling? How many real discoveries have been, you know, hidden and or stolen in the name of sexism and racism by the institutions that have been established already? So, you know, anyway. I digress. Um, I got off onto a different tangent, but what began this was me starting with the subject of this hit piece organization. So as I was saying, hit piece is essentially trying to be music NFTs. Sure, a lot of you or everyone has heard the term NFT standing for non-fungible token. And just like someone giving you a $5 Starbucks gift card as a token of their appreciation, NFTs are also merely a token of somebody's work and idea. Like most things broad sweeping, disruptive, and highly lucrative on a short-term basis, I think that the proprietors of NFTs also know and have to accept that it's no secret that it won't fly unless they can sell the lie. Like the stock market, it has literally no value but the value that people buy into it or pay into it. It's no surprise to me that uh, a most likely non-creative-minded tech, music industry, bro, hybrid, wannabe would come along and try to think of a, a new get-rich-quick idea that essentially exploits the efforts, works, and intellectual property of real creative minds and artists just to make a quick buck. Um, to me, it's the most normal thing in the world. It doesn't make it less annoying or less offensive. Um, it pisses me off. But at the same time, I understand it, and I'm not surprised by it at all. In fact, I view it as the most reasonable and logical progression uh, as far as the current model of the music industry goes. 
it makes sense. Like, what other space do they have to really expand into? You know, um, this mentality I think is the same mentality employed in exploiting some of the earliest black artists in America, whether it was through jazz, Motown, hip hop, whatever it is. The structure needs to convince the artist that the business can't be done without that structure that's exploitative and corrupt. And so the structure creates this environment that makes it very difficult for the artist on their own. And so, uh, you know, the artist oftentimes is pushed into uh, a battle of whether they're going to stick to their ethics or whether they will eat and provide for themselves and their family. I would never fault an artist for having to make that decision in whatever they choose. I fault the system by which they are exploited. So everybody, you know, starts claiming on this person, this organization, Hit Peace. It's a big conversation online. You know, everybody I know, all my peers, my musician friends, everybody's posting about it. And uh, yesterday, the people from this organization, Hit Peace, released a statement. And it said, clearly we have struck a nerve and are very eager to create the ideal experience for music fans by selling like a digital token of album artwork. Okay. Back to the statement. To be clear, artists get paid when digital goods are sold on HitPiece. Like all beta products, we are continuing to listen to all user feedback and are committed to evolving the product to fit the needs of the artist labels and fans alike well given our current paradigm of the music industry although that sounds lovely and like a really really nice approach and a motivation to do something good get the fuck out of here with that come on nobody's buying it if that statement were put out as a mission statement i understand but as a reaction to you being called out for striking some deal with Spotify to instantly utilize the API and have all these images at your disposal. Weak move, bros. Weak move. Maybe you're right. I don't know what your intentions are. I don't know anything about you and your business. I only know what all the internet sleuths have found out about one of you in particular. <laughs> And your old label and your uh, not surprising ethnic background and your not surprising socio-political proclivities. It all adds up to that stereotype of the NFT tech bro. But I don't really know. I'm not here to slander anybody. I'm not here to run my mouth into a defamation lawsuit. Even little old nobody like me. I'm just telling you what other people have said about this and how my personal opinion is that seems pretty consistent with everything. Seems pretty consistent with everything going. Apparently one of the main people behind this hit piece thing was somebody who was involved with running this old label called the Militia Group. Uh, they were around in the days of early RX, you know, in the aughts and stuff and I think we had some friends and label or friends and acquaintances on that label, but I don't really remember. Either way, I knew that it was kind of part of a different scene, and most of the bands on that label 
would, you know, we had nothing to do with, not by choice, just by circumstance. But I will say this to the hit piece people, however many of you there are. You know, rather than being lazy and kind of just trying to lift from the pool of whatever already exists, if you really had those things in mind, you could, for example, approach artists and talk to them about doing these sort of deals. Oh yes, but it would take so much more work and time and effort to actually make things that are unique, that benefit the artist first. Because actually, a music industry that puts the artist first would be the most sustainable and healthy sort of music industry. And while that exists on a small level right now, like Bandcamp, like every other industry on the planet, it's not even about your own product and company as much as it is about once you get to a certain level, making sure other products and other companies don't get to your level and surpass you. So we get buttheads like this that really only know how to run sort of these intellectual colonist campaigns. They just roll into pre existing areas and either by force or by coercion or by a combination thereof be like, what's yours is mine. There's those people that love music, that love the music business. They don't necessarily have what they would consider musical talent. So they try to find a way to interact with what they love outside of that. And I know a lot of these people. It's legit. I respect a lot of these people. But you know what the people that I respect have in common that minds like these hit piece fools don't? They're interested in working with artists. They're interested in what they can do to serve the concept and the art itself, thusly and counterintuitively becoming an integral part of the creative process and that said piece of art. And if you're one of those people, just know that us musicians, we need you too. We need each other. But we need each other outside of the current model of the corrupt music industry. If you love music, you want to work with, become, be on the road, whatever, I support that and respect that so much. But you don't need to be creative mosquitoes like these motherfuckers to do that. So I don't know, hit piece dudes. Um, maybe do something useful like start a record pressing plant here in, here in North America or something. Uh, you know? We don't need any more tokens or non-fungible tokens around music. The real token is the power of music, the, each individual's interpretation, and how that emotion associated with that song lives inside of them forever. See, it's, it's minds like that that get us from having real concepts of movies to making hit movies about non-stories like rides like Pirates of the Caribbean. See, it's that kind of thinking. These hit piece dudes are thinking the same way. And you know where that's going to lead us? Literally going to lead us into Coca-Cola the movie, iPhone the movie. And you're going to be like, what are you even saying? 
you're saying these movies are going to be based upon just products, like a thing, a noun. And I'm saying, yes, yes, they are. Look at our trajectory, you know? So pretty soon you're going to be buying tickets to uh, Smart Water, the sequel. Watch out. Speaking of movies, Peter Jackson of Lord of the Rings fame, among other movies. For you uh, cult film buffs, uh, he might be of Meet the Feebles fame. <laughs> I'm not even going to talk about that movie. If you're, if you're curious, just look it up. And yeah, it's a, it's a wild one. So yeah, uh, Peter Jackson decided to rekindle the flame of really long movies and he made get back this film about the beatles i think it's about six hours six hours give or take some um i think it's in three parts i'm about two-thirds of the way through it and i'm not sure how a group of people thought it would be a good idea to show uh over five hours of such mundane and normal and typical interaction for bands working, writing, and recording and making decisions. Even for a really like hardcore Beatles fan that isn't a musician, uh, I don't understand how that wouldn't be really boring for them. I know that this movie is boring because I love it. I know the amount that I love this movie clearly proves how fucking boring it is <laughs> because that's me. You know me, you know the podcast. I dive into the minutia. I live in the niche. So it tickles me to see how much toast they eat how most of them take their tea with milk and sugar. You know, all these other interactions that they have. All of us musicians who have played in bands and worked in ensembles, we can see ourselves in these dudes in this band. And I don't mean comparing ourselves talent or achievement-wise. I mean that what is most striking about this movie is that they were a real band. They had real interactions, their problems, you know, all the issues and their downfalls, all the moments that their chemistry is really getting going. It's clear that they're as real as a band gets. And not only did they kind of set a whole universe of songwriting and arrangements for bass drums and guitars and vocals, uh, I now see that they did it unknowingly through just trying to be an ensemble of four talented individuals that are trying to write songs and be entertainers, be musicians, you know? The film starts when they're already famous. It's 1969. The band had been going for a while. They had already reached the peak of fame. and. We now know that this was the beginning of the end. So, you know, what we see is the band getting back together after not being active for a while and trying to prepare for 
a live television performance, and recording an album, which they then try to combine into one, and then a bunch of stuff happens, and then they inevitably end up at performing on the rooftop of their own building for their Apple Records business. And we follow them over multiple days as they, you know, prepare, rehearse, try to decide what to do with the show, and literally pull iconic songs out of their ass. I'm still kind of shocked that they would put so much footage of just the hour-to-hour, minute-to-minute workings of preparing you know, writing and all the time wasting that inevitably goes into writing and working with a band or even making a record. It's clear to me now that, you know, Peter Jackson, whether it was as a fan or or in combination with being a filmmaker, um, was thinking in the exact same way that we try to here at the Musicians Guild, where he celebrates he celebrates, you know, those things that are seemingly mundane that aren't. They're only mundane on the surface. But things like George Harrison being fed up with his position and his opinion not being respected and leaving for a few days and seeing the band trying to speak to him to get him back and then a recorded conversation between John and Paul at the cafeteria where they're kind of discussing how Paul is a little bit overbearing and everybody feels this pressure under him, like he always wants everything to be a certain way rather than letting everybody do their thing, which is probably how they started. This is amazing stuff to see and hear because you're watching one of the greatest bands ever Whether or not you like their music, it's a fact. You're watching one of the greatest bands ever do real band shit. Regular musicians in a band stuff. There was no divinity. There was no sort of like higher level anything. They were human. And they were having the same problems that a local band, you know, who's never even left the state has the same exact issues. It's so amazing to watch. So what we get is something that's similar to some kind of monster, but with a group of people that aren't a bunch of spoiled bitches. You know, you can see that they really love each other and you can see that they have a genuine desire to work things out and treat each other decently. So as I'm watching this and I'm getting into this, I'm really vibing with this, all the more common narratives like Yoko being there at every moment, sitting next to John through hours and hours of rehearsal right by his side, you know, those just kind of go to the back, not even paying attention to that. And you're able to not really perceive it until there's these few moments where Uh, Yoko decides to get on the mic and do her, like, you know, war cry, emotional, atonal screaming thing a couple times uh, with John and Paul, Paul playing drums and stuff. She literally made whole records like that later on in her solo career. Um, 
But yeah, I don't even understand how people are down with her solo work. I saw a recent uh, cover record of hers and a lot of reputable bands. Uh, and I'm wondering, whoa, is there a bunch of Yoko Ono fans out there? Like, they literally back her? Uh, you know? Um, that's music I just can't get down with. Uh, it's like non-musical music, non-musician music, where it's used as like performance art or something. And uh, I'm not here to judge or be able to say what's music and what's not, but I can't get down with that kind of stuff. It's just doesn't connect with me at all. And sometimes I do wonder why it had to be music and why something else couldn't have been chosen. But, you know, everybody does their thing. But yeah, um, aside from that, there just continues to be so many musicians, guild type gems. The whole thing is pretty much gear porn. Um, from the era of late 60s to early 70s, a lot of this amazing Vox solid state stuff, these Vox PAs. Uh, the keyboardist they add, Billy Preston, he's playing this like silver, blue silver Rhodes that, oh my God, if you see this blue silver Rhodes, it's one of the most beautiful electric pianos I've ever seen in my life. And the way Billy Preston plays it, oh man, out of this world. Sorry, I know I've been talking about the Beatles a lot. And if you're uh, into The Locust and you liked Botch, and you, you know, Morrissey's your thing and whatever, and you hate the Beatles, you're like, why is this guy talking about the Beatles so much? But I've said this before, and I'll say it again. If you want to be a pro basketball player, you should probably watch tapes of Michael Jordan and Kobe. You want to be a geneticist, you should probably be familiar with Watson and Crick and how they screwed over Rosalind Franklin, the woman scientist who invented X-ray crystallography. If you want to be a naturalist, you should probably study Alexander von Humboldt. And if you want to be in a band and write songs, especially with drums, bass, guitar, and vocals, then you should definitely, definitely understand and study the Beatles to a certain degree. If one of the things you like about our band, RX Bandits, is our ability to kind of go on longer narratives with our music and take the song to a place that you never expected when you listened to it, in the beginning at first. A lot of these sort of arrangements, key changes, theme changes, a lot of this stuff was pioneered by the Beatles. We don't do it in the same style, but the concept, the concepts originate with them so many times. So, to all of you musicians and songwriters, if you haven't already, and if you can muster it, I encourage you to check out at least some of it. It's going to be boring, but if you're listening to this and me, you're already down for boring, so you're primed, you know? All right, well, I have some more guitar parts that I need to go record and work on. I'm starting to pick up momentum on a current pop project I'm working on, and I'm getting really stoked on it. So I'm going to get back to work on that. 
you all continue being the excellent humans that you are. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. <laughs>